Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today is the Tell Dell Radio Show, where we bring individuals on to share their story with you, because I know, and I've learned this over 35 years, that you really don't care what I do. Uh, you know, hey, Dell, he's he's crazy. You know, of course he did it. That's why he's on the radio. But can I do it? Does it make any sense for me to do it? And in this particular case, this is a perfect example today. Our guest is a very successful doctor. And so you say, why would a doctor even be interested in this? He's got a great practice. He's making money. Why would he do this? So let's find out today. With me here today is Dr. Robert Salchak. Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dale, for having me on. So the world wants to know. You worked hard. You went to school. You got a degree. You developed a practice. You're a successful doctor. Why worry about investments? Well, we kind of look at ourselves as just another normal family. Um, my wife's a CPA, and I own my own practice, so we go to work. You know, I, Even though I own a business, I still own my job, and I'm, I still have to work. And we, although we've never taken a Dave Ramsey course, we, you know, we kind of subscribe to that concept and we tried to save really well and, and not live above our means. And so we, you know, we saved and had a pretty good retirement amount saved up. But after three times of being, um, you know, losing a significant amount of our retirement in market corrections in the stock market, dating from like year 2000 to 2016, we just decided there was something else we needed to be able to do. And, and one of the unfortunate parts of our membership is that we didn't join earlier. You know, I would listen to you occasionally on the radio, but I didn't really buy into the, to the, the intelligent use of leverage. I didn't understand that. And so finally in 2016, I listened to a show and it was the first time I really heard your message. And so we went to a, a like a two hour course and then a two day course. And then we joined after that. You know, I was out last night with a couple of, parallel what you're saying there. They both have successful careers. They both own their own businesses, both the husband and the wife. And uh, they were racked up with the same thing. They just couldn't overcome the the fear of leverage. Um, And I explained to them the same way I'll explain to everybody out there. If you're someone that your whole life, that you've been very successful at working and you've been able to earn money by working, and you're good at working, you're good at doing something that actually pays well, um, it's very hard to believe that you can earn money without working. I mean, it's, it, it's, it is programmed into your brain, work, earn, work, earn, work, earn. I, I always jokingly say if you're, born with a hammer in your, if you're born with a hammer in your hand, everything in life looks like a nail. Let's go hit it. Let's get to work. And so obviously you and the wife are successful. You work. You earn, it, it just works out. It's a lot easier to do what we already know how to do, Dell. I, I get it. So what made you change your mind? Well, when, when we really understood that as we were starting to get into our mid-years of life, 
that we, you know, our goal was to have a big enough pile of money that would outlive us later in, in our years. And it kept on getting chipped away by market corrections that were outside of our control. And so we knew we needed to look for assets that could produce income for us really more long term. And then the, the hope would be that those assets would actually grow so that our pile of money over time could get bigger and, pro- and provide for our needs rather than getting smaller and potentially going away before we died. Um, my mother passed away a few years ago, but she ran out of money before uh, before she went. And, you know, my siblings and I had to help support her along with her Social Security. And so, so I have a, an example in my family of someone that ran out of money before they, you know, left. And, and it gave her a lot of anxiety and, and stress. And we just decided we needed to look for other ways. And, and so many people in lifestyles had been successful that when we started to look, we felt like we really needed to, to get more deeply involved. You know, you just destroyed my joke, Bob. You know, I have a joke <laughs> about that. And that is, uh, and, and it's sad after you hear the story about your mother, but my joke has always been for 34 years, you know, when you believe in that pile of money theory, uh, the goal has to be try to die before you run out of money. <laughs> It just it's not doesn't sound funny after you told me it actually happened to your mom. So you ruined my joke for me. Thank you. Well, I'm sorry. Well, and the other thing is that, you know, people joke about that. You you know, your goal should be that you spend your last dollar on your last day. Well, I want to leave money for my kids, but I also want to live a life. And I think this model allows you to do both if it's done correctly. Yeah, that's a good point. Um I've, I've myself, when I was younger, I used to tout that all the time. You know, I want my last check to bounce. You've heard that one, right? Um, yes, I have. So, but, but the truth of the matter is now that I'm old and I got kids and grandkids and yeah, I get you. But the thing is you can live off the cash flow and leave them the asset and the asset will just continue to produce for them once you're gone. So it, it's, it's a good thing. How did you uh, find us by the way? Well, I, I live in the Houston area and so I, I, We'll catch their you know radio show occasionally on 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 drives for lunch or whenever. And actually, I was driving back from Austin one day in, in summer of 2016 and caught the show and was able to listen to the to the whole thing. But I was in a mindset that I was ready to listen to the message and hear it and then act on it. When before it was just kind of an entertaining show, but it really sunk in that time. And I, I've heard you say that when the pupil is ready, the teacher will show up. And that was kind of that light bulb moment for me is that this is an avenue we need to pursue. Absolutely. So when you came in uh, and took the two day, I always like to hear from people, what was the aha moment or group aha moments that really, uh, you know, boom, wow, that's what I've been missing right there. Yeah, we took the, the two day in January 2017. And probably the first thing that really struck me was that in my practice, if I want to make more money back to your work model, I have to work more. I have to see more patients. I have to work more hours. And there's kind of a linear uh, line to that. If, if I could have a, a property that could make income for me, and at some point, if we sell or refinance it and I can redeploy more money, one deal becomes two deals, and then two deals become four deals, and I don't have to work for that growth. In my practice, I have to work for the growth. And in this model, I don't have to work for my growth. So it was new, it was exciting, and, and we've been able to experience it as members. 
What was your criteria for leads? Yeah, we we would I would invest with uh, an aspiring lead, and I would also invest with a seasoned lead. You know, some people kind of choose one lane to get in, and we were pretty open. So, although there was a social component, the first thing they had to to show me was they that they had some skills, at least on paper, that um, that they'd been maybe a project manager in their prior job, or they had been a business owner. They knew how to look at a, a a profit and loss statement and a balance sheet, and they had some accounting experience. And, and so I, I vetted them that they had a skill set that at least I thought they would be able to, to, to manage these properties. Because it's a business and it's an asset and they have to be able to manage that and they've got to be able to manage people. So I think a good lead has some you know, business skills, and, but they also have some social skills. And I knew that I was going to want to be able to communicate with the lead and there would have to be some sort of social connection along with the most important thing was that they had the actual skill set from a business standpoint to be able to manage the property. So let's unpack it uh, way back in the beginning. We'll work forward from there for people. Uh, what kind of returns were you getting out of the deals when you first started and both cash flow wise and capital gains wise and uh, refinance wise? What, what was happening when you first got involved and kind of timeline it and Share it with us. Sure. So in 2017, I think we got in like seven deals the first year and then maybe a dozen or so the next year. So we got close to 20 deals within the first two years of membership. Our early returns were from a cash on cash distributions on a quarterly basis were, you know, close to 10 percent, maybe 12 percent on our on one of our deals. So they were better than we've gotten. And as the market started to go up, the, the margins got a little thinner and thinner, and eventually, you know, a 5 to 7 or 8% return was pretty normal on our money. And some deals that we got into, they were more of a value play, which means it's more for capital gains and not as much distributions. Uh, so there may be deals that we didn't get any distributions, but then when we sold, we would, you know, have a 100% return and be close to, you know, doubling our money. So... Over the course of our membership, we've had 14 deals sell, and the worst deal was a 20% return. Our best deal was a 250% return. All of that averaged out to be about a 96% return over around a three-and-a-half-year period of holding the properties. So through that time, we either refinanced or sold, then we'd redeploy the money, and then we'd start to get you know second-generation deals where I didn't have to work for that money. It was just profit from a prior deal. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, around that, I'm penciling that out in my head and that comes out to about 25% a year. If you just take the, the internal rate of return and against what you put in, that's really high. I mean, you know, when I do the little test in the two day and I said, tell me what your cash on or no, not your cash on, tell me what your, your, um, passive income is compared to your net worth, the average person earns less than 1% a year. So if you were on average earning 25% a year, which was 97% over three and a half, four years, right? Um, man, that's that's really good. So uh, you ha- obviously had to be happy with that. Um, how did you parse out, and I've only got 30 seconds left in this segment, how did you parse out uh, how much you would put in each year after that? Were you saving up to amount or... Did you have planned how much you were going to put in? How did you come up with your secondary and tertiary investments besides the fact that you pulled stuff out of the other deals? 
Yeah, we we wanted to try to redeploy our money as quickly as we could in deals that make sense with our strategy. But we also wanted to save some money because I wanted to be a lead, and I knew I'd have to have some reserves. Got it. Okay, we'll take a short break then. We'll be right back with uh, Dr. Robert Salchek out of Sugarland and the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Teaching you with a roadmap to creating the lifestyle you really want. Keep listening. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show returns in moments. So when I say be ready, number one, to get ready, you better join up Lifestyles Unlimited and learn all these things we're talking about. You're out there piddling and, you know, Internet information and your buddy's information or your dad's information. It's not going to get you the results that we're talking about. You're going to have to be educated in what we're doing. Learn from the people that are already where you want to be. Join us for the free online workshop at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. You're hearing the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more life-changing knowledge? Access our podcast and listen on demand at lifestylesunlimited.com under the radio tab. Now your host, Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. With me here today on Tell Dell Tuesday is Dr. Robert Salchek out of Sugarland, Texas. And we're discussing his investment strategies and how he worked through his results that he got from those investment strategies. So, um, Bob, as, as we look at this thing right now, um, you kept building and building and building this. Did you have any inclination that there could be a shutoff point? Or was it just, no, nah, this is just supplemental to uh, the fact that you and the wife both have good jobs? Well, we knew it. at some point we wanted to not have to work our jobs. And right now we're in this position where we still need to work some. We've been able to take all of our distributions and anything from refis, sales, cash out. Uh, we, that's all gone back into these deals to try to grow, I'll call it our nest egg. And, and at, but at some point I need to have income so that the, our current investments aren't producing enough to replace our income right now. And, and so we still have to work. And I'm okay with that because I love what I do. I've been fortunate that I can go to a part-time schedule at my work, but my wife still works full-time and mostly from home. So it's flexible, but, but she'd like to cut back. And, and at some point, we've got to have enough investments and be getting enough cash flow uh, to replace that. And, and that's been a little bit of a lull lately as the market has uh, been not quite as you know, uh, positive for us. Yeah, that's a that's the elephant in the room for people that had started investing in the last year or two, is that the market peaked. I mean, it's it happens, and uh, we saw it coming, and we announced it to people that it was coming, and I told people to watch out and not get into adjustable rate mortgages, and I told people to stop using pro forma numbers to buy stuff with and paying way too much. And we educated people. But for some reason, what happened, uh, Bob, is that I called it irrational exuberance. When you've done this since 2008 and every single year, the deals went up, went up, went up, went up, went up. And like you said, really unbelievable returns. Uh, I've had returns as high as 200 to 400 percent returns. It was just 
all of a sudden it was like um, you, you started to believe that you you had the Midas touch. Everything you touched turned to gold. And I think what happened was people took their eye off the ball because it was so easy. And because there are deals that went down in the last year or two that are good deals, that are making money, that are paying di- distributions. But there are some that are not because they got, you know, uh, ahead of themselves. They didn't pay attention to took their eye off the ball. Now, there is also the fact that some of the deals uh, ran into some heavy costs from insurance and taxes. And that, by the way, happened because no one can tell you how many hurricanes there's going to be in a year. And they just go, you know what? Your insurance was $400 a door a year, and now it's $1,400 a door a year. And that took a whack into a lot of people's cash flow, and it wasn't planned into it. Um, so we understand all that. Now, what's happened now, though, and I want to see to get your take on this if you've perceived this yet, uh, is that there's deals out there now that uh, have turned around because what happened was the, the Fed saw the inflation. They saw what was going on. People were willing to pay anything to buy anything. And uh, they said, we got to shut this down. They did by raising the interest rates. And by raising the interest rates, they, they, they hit a lot of people that were in adjustable rate mortgages. And the interest rates went up on them, so there's there's no cash flow. Uh, and that acerbates the problem that they paid too much back at the peak of the market. But now what's happening is the interest rates have gone up so high that the prices have come back down to normal. The cap rates are back down to normal. And now the interest rates are starting to drop, so you're going to get the best of both worlds right now. This is the time I bought two closed on two deals last week. I closed in one this week. I've got two more that I'm going into contract on this week to buy in the near future. Why? Well, because the deals, all of a sudden, the sellers realize that, you know, the prices have come down. They didn't want to admit that for six months, but now it's six months later and they're admitting that. Uh, interest rates are starting to come back down. The Fed said, hey, we did it. We beat inflation. Now we're going to bring the rates down a little bit. And that's making these deals make more sense. And so I'm starting to like, I'm getting like a kid in a candy stop on this stuff now. So, Bob, what about you? You said you're looking for deals outside of Houston. And uh, are you, have you witnessed yet any deal where you've seen that there was a dramatic drop in ba- price that you might or might not have been able to get a hold of? Yeah, so I'm, I own a property as a lead in North Carolina, and that's where I'm looking more in North Carolina and Tennessee. And some of the cost thing, expenses that you talked about where insurances and, and taxes have gone up so much locally that it's really hurt some of the cash flow. We haven't experienced it that much. Some, to some degree, it's gone up, but not like it is here. So property prices generally have not gone down as much there as they have here. But we just had access or at least we're exposed to a deal where several years ago at the peak of the market, an investor came into that market and purchased a portfolio of properties in a very short period of time, something like 2000 units. And there were a number of properties that they were not doing very well because their, you know, the adjustable rates, they went up and it was killing their cash flow. So their loan was coming due a little bit later this year and their, Lender said, we're not going to extend to you or refinance with you. You have to sell. And so this is the first uh, time that I've seen in the market. I'm looking that there was a distressed situation where you had a seller that had no opportunity to do anything else. They had to sell. And so the prices were low enough that when we underwrote the deals, 
there was one property in particular that we that we put an offer in, and the the, the terms and the uh, our projections were for better returns than I've seen on anything in at least the last three or four years. The unfortunate part is that a large the deal was so good that a larger buyer came in and bought the portfolio as one buyer, and rather than them sell them in you know separate transactions. The lender got involved, and so we were just beat out by a bigger fish, and there wasn't anything we could do about that. But it was my first um, exposure to a deal like that, and I have to believe there's going to be some other ones out there, and that's what we hope to get uh, a chance to purchase. Yeah, it just sounds, it sounds like they're just a little bit, uh, the timeline's different. You know, it's uh, just taking a little bit longer to take effect there. It will eventually take effect, there's no doubt about it. Um, Wanted to ask you why you chose going there to buy your deals. Uh, is that someplace you grew up, came came from? Uh, why there? What, yeah, what I, do you like I about that market? Grow, I grew up in Western New York, so it's not in, near Buffalo. So I, North Carolina and, and Tennessee. It just turns out that as I got involved in the Atlanta Lifestyles Group, there was some friends in the Southeast that I got to be you know close to. And a, a good friend that's now an operations partner with me lives in High Point, which is near Greensboro. Uh, his name is Tom, and and he owns some properties in that area. So I've pulled in about a dozen family members and friends to Lifestyles as preferred members. So our group uh, wanted to, to do a property outside of the Houston area, and, and we had a team there already ready to go. I had also managed a property in Georgia where I had uh, replaced a lead about four years ago and was used to managing an asset from a distance. But more importantly, the metrics there, both North Carolina and Tennessee are very similar in that those states have positive incoming uh, population. So when there's more people coming in, they got to have a place to live. They're going there because of job growth. Those states have done a great job at putting in large manufacturing, a lot of auto industry and airlines, uh, or air industry where they're, they're building things, you know, multi-billion dollar projects in those areas. So there's jobs, there's people, and that just, you know, the economies make sense. And so although I have to travel, uh, I was used to dealing with an asset from a distance uh, with a local operations partner. So I have a team there that I work with closely. And so I'm not just doing it on my own. And I just feel like there's more opportunities there. And we've got a team built there to try to take advantage of it. Do you see in these other markets, when you go outside of Houston, where we've been for 35 years, or Dallas or San Antonio, when you go to these other markets all over the country, can you still find an unsophisticated seller slash owner that has just held on to his real estate and not used any of the techniques that when you took the two-day, I showed you 28 ways to make the value go up. I've showed you expense reduction uh, practices, et cetera, et cetera, all this technical knowledge that we bring to the table on how to do this stuff effectively and change the value quickly, there's a lot of people who just buy a piece of real estate and hold on to it for the rest of their life. And it pays their family to live forever, and they don't do any of those things. They just hold on to it. And, you know, you hold on to something 20 years, Bob, it's going to be paying a lot of money. I mean, the equity capture alone just from appreciation is going to be over the top. Are you able to find any of those unsophisticated buyers or I'm sorry, sellers out there? We've, we've seen some of that. Um, most of the deals that we get exposed to though, have been listed by a broker and, and uh, with a large brokerage firm. 
So they become sophisticated. And, you know, unfortunately, they try to get both sides to, to you know, raise up the price of a property. And, and even though a property may have not been run very well, you know, it's got either, you know, occupancy. Typically, if someone wants to keep occupancy high, they don't raise the rents because they just want to keep people there. Right. So they may be well on their market rents or they've got a ton of deferred maintenance. And so there is a lot of opportunity for us as a, as a buyer. But the brokers sell everybody, at least, the, you know, the, the owners uh, trying to sell. They sell them on the idea that pro forma is where you, how you need to sell for. So I may not be buying an asset for actuals. You know, the property has done this and this is what I'm going to buy it on. They try to sell it on pro forma, what it could do. So it's almost like I have to pay for the opportunity to make it better, which never made sense to me, but that's kind of how the business works. And yeah, we're trying now, to go back to more actuals. So Bob, that's, that's exactly the problem. And you're right that the brokers created this problem and, uh, where the mistake happened is that people that were the buyers, us, if we were the buyers, uh, we felt like I need a deal so bad I'm willing to go with this really crooked logic, you know, that you should pay a premium for potential as opposed to saying this guy messed it up. That's why it's not worth very much. When I buy it and I'm willing to fix it up, then it's going to be worth a lot more and then we'll sell it for a lot more and we'll get the profit rightfully in our pocket, not in their pocket, because they didn't do it. So um, the last, I've closed two, I've got one closing today. Uh, the last four deals that I've done, I'm, I'm writing an offer on one, which would be the fifth deal, have all been on actuals now. So this is just the last couple of months, this is starting to happen. Um, I think the, the one thing, though, Bob, that I'm finding is that I'm putting out I'm looking at 200 deals. This was last year. I was looking at 200 deals to make an offer on 10, and I got blown out on eight of those because somebody paid three times more than what it was worth. I got down to best and final on one or two or, you know, or three of those, and I still usually got beat out most of the time because they just were willing to pay way, way, way more than I was. I had one deal I looked at. It was $50 million they wanted for the deal. Uh, I came back six months later. They were willing to give it to us for forty-three million. I said it's only worth forty million five hundred. They've scoffed at me because some of the guys were willing to pay forty-three million. That forty-three million guy retraded them. <laughs> they called me back for the fifty mil- or the forty million five hundred, and I said, you know, I with the, the stuff that just happened, the interest rates went up again. I think it's worth. Thirty-six million. It's <laughs> like, oh my god! So they went ahead and took somebody else's forty million five hundred thousand dollar offer, the exact offer I had. If they would have given it to me, I would have. I'd own the property right now. But that stuff happens. Point I'm making, Bob. Are you out there making offers? Because I'm chopping, 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 and now you know instead of looking at two hundred to get one offer on the table, I'm probably looking at fifty to get one offer on the table, and I'm in ten of the, the deals instead of only three. Are you are you out there putting? Put the deals out there or making the offers, the point I'm making. Yes, we're making the offers and and we're actually changing our strategy and we're gonna we're gonna look at more deals simultaneously instead of kind of doing one and then putting an offer and then moving in. I've been looking for go. my next deal for almost a year. And and we just there haven't been that many deals to look at, but we're now that the holidays are over with and we can kind of hit this full bore again, then we're gonna start looking at multiple deals at one time. 
we're branching ourselves out into more um, with may building more relationships with more brokers and uh, lifestyles has put a broker in the North Carolina market recently. So I'm actually going to meet with him in a few weeks and we will, uh, we'll be looking in some other areas. And I wanted to do a real quick shout out to Cindy. She's the lifestyle broker in Tennessee and we're working closely with her. She's a good friend. So we're expanding um, the number of deals we're looking at instead of just kind of doing one. And then if we get it or not, then, you know, we're out, but we've been best and final a few times. We've been accepted LOIs, but we've had problems getting under contract because of one thing or another that didn't, that kind of killed the deal. And we're just trying to, to do a broader approach now. Yeah. I want to, I want to um, recommend that you continue that approach. Uh, as you were speaking, I was thinking to myself, I'm always in four to five different offers at, at any one time, all the time. I'm in letters of intent, at least four or five different deals. And it just came to me as you were saying that, that's the way I do it. I, I don't do one deal at a time. Running one deal is, is going to be a loser because you're going to always get there and you want the deal more than the seller wants it. Does that make sense? You, you've got to yeah. be like, man, I got five of these things. I'm going to get one of them and I'm going to make the offer to make sense. Well, hey, Bob, thanks for coming on today. I appreciate you. I know you're a busy man. Uh I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story with us. And I really hope to see you up on the stage telling the story about this new deal out there that you're going to get this year. The rest of you out there, remember this. It's not the money. It's the lifestyle. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you tomorrow. Listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more of Dell's unconventional wisdom? Go to lifestylesunlimited.com and click the radio tab. Listen to past shows, hear podcasts on demand, and find out how you can change your life today. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show is part of the Lifestyles Unlimited Radio Network. The information and opinions you hear on the Dell Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Dell Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Dell Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Dell Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.